Welcome to American Redemption, the show where the next generation of American patriots learn to fight back in America's toughest cultural battles. Welcome to American Redemption, episode 19, very special episode today. We have my mom on as a guest, my number one fan, who's very behind on listening. Only two episodes behind. Andrew. Hey, Steve. This is, uh, this is episode 20. Oh, oops. That's funny. That's all right. Uh, we also have a live audience today. We have the rest of my family around Woo! on their screens. <laughs> so, yes. what was the joke I made earlier? Um, I don't know. I didn't know you made a joke. The ra- we're um, something for the radio station. Oh, you said your first radio appearance. This is my first radio appearance. Which I guess, yeah, it's an oxymoron. Which is technically an oxymoron. Because <laughs> if you, you don't really appear on the radio. Yeah. Could that be an oxymoron? I guess not. I don't think so. Okay, I guess it's not. Same. <laughs> the resident encyclopedia says no. <laughs> uh, well, Mom, what are you here to talk about? Well, I'm here to talk about motherhood with you guys. Because I have... Uh, that's an area of expertise for me and Steve. Yes. Yes. I listened to many of your episodes. I know that you have a very large population of males on your radio podcast. It's 80, well as- 80, 20. We have 20% female listeners. Okay. And then um, what percentage of females who are Not actually sure. on your show? Uh, like two, no, three out of 20, I guess. Okay. So it got me thinking about how you guys are all just like really awesome guys, the, the people I listen to on your radio show, including you and Andrew, Stephen. And I think, oh my gosh, what kind of lucky girls are going to get these two, you know? And, and what kinds of things have they thought about beyond, you know, looking good, showing up and opposing Satan? Because I know that that's like the framework of your radio program. But it makes me wonder, have you gone deeper than that into, you know, what is your future spouse going to be like? So I wanted to ask you, both of you, do each of you have a list of what you're hoping to have in a spouse? Yes. It's a compassionate, motivated, caring, kind, fun-loving, and organized are the six things I wrote that I'm looking for in a spouse. When did you make that list? I made this list 7 30 18. And I actually titled it Things That I Like About Jackie. Oh, 2018. You, wow. You've mentioned um, dress as well, too, earlier, which I yes. thought was cute. Yes, Dr- dress as well. She does have good taste. <laughs> okay, Andrew, have you thought about your list? I never made a physical list, but I had, a, I guess, a mental list of. Three criteria. Um, basically, is it, just, is it the three-step plan? That is kind of inca- a catch-all, really. It's a, uh, criteria two would encapsulate the three-step plan. So the cre- three criteria, which are all on an equal playing field, are attractive, good values, compatible values, and like fun to be with, uh, yeah. good chemistry, all that sort of thing. In that order, or is no, they're that all on the same level. It's all on the same level. There's no hierarchy. No, I think they're all equally important. Okay, so you both mentioned values, and and Stephen, you mentioned a lot of good character traits. Yeah, um, which I think works well, um, and maybe is a little less specific than adding something on there, such as I hope she'll be a great mother. Um, but I do think that some of the things that you put on your list fall in our good criteria to become a good mother. Um, but neither one of you did mention that in your list. Neither one of you said, I hope she'll be a great mother or I want someone to be a great mother. I think you're right. That does fit into the overarching to talk about values because we, we know Stephen and I talk a lot about our, our family values and how that's the core of society. So that's encapsulated. And that's, and that's if you want children too, right? Like not everybody wants children. So 
I'm, I'm assuming you want four. Jackie does too. Jackie wants four. I want like 10, but we'll, oh, we'll, we'll settle it for. I love it. <laughs> Andrew, how many children do you want? I would say four to six. Four to six. Oh my goodness. Wow. Uh, you're going to be so blessed. That's really cool. I love it. So I guess that you two seem very equipped for making good judgments when it comes to who your future spouse is, which do you feel pretty well equipped for that? Like, do you feel like you're, you like, have you and Jackie talked a lot about what motherhood is going to look like for her? Very often. Yes. That's great. That's one of the things that a lot of people your age don't talk about. You know, they, they get to, um, they get to the altar or, or they can't see beyond the altar. They can't see beyond the wedding day. And then all of a sudden one of them finds out that their values regarding, you know, motherhood, fatherhood are completely different. And that's a big mistake that young people make nowadays. And I think that's one of the things that um, our, the, the church does really well is they have that marriage encounter uh, yeah. pre-Cana that forces young people like you guys to, to talk about the tough questions like what is what is motherhood going to look like, you know, for my spouse. And um, a lot of times they're, they're on, surprisingly, haven't talked about it and they're on completely different pages about it. And, and that's okay too, because sometimes you just have to compromise if you don't agree on what's going to happen. So um, I, I know you guys probably, do, do you guys know any feminists? I don't associate with feminists, but I've seen them around. Okay. Do you automatically assume a, a feminist would be a bad mom? Um, maybe not an ideal mom. I'm sure they can still have many traits that you want a mother to have. Maybe they're caring and giving and loving, but I think they'd be lacking something. Okay. Steven, what do yeah. you think? I, I would reiterate. Andrew's sentiment on that, that I don't think they can't be a mother, but there's definitely some barriers that would be very hard to overcome. Because I'm, it, it, by, by definition of it, it's along the lines of like serving, serving oneself and, and not, you're, you're putting yourself on, on a pedestal and you're not really looking at the entirety of your your family's uh what's what's best for the entirety of your family so i i yeah i think that would be there would come an issue there where it would be all right it's either me or them type situation i also always wonder how feminists would raise boys how do they raise their sons because a lot of them are harboring resentment against men and males so you wonder how that comes out when they're raising sons. And it's also just a rejection of reality in many ways. So they're going to be treating sons, you know, not the way they should be. Okay. I, I think that's an interesting perspective. I do happen to have a friend who's a feminist who uh, she, she has the type of job where she can work part time. Um, from what I remember, she she was a really good mom or is still a good mom. So I don't know. I'm a hundred percent in agreement about that, but um, I think that. Well, I, mean, I mean, I mean, what are what are we establishing as as the definition of of, right. of feminist? Though, or are, are right. we are we? What is your definition? Like, could she be the breadwinner and you be the stay home dad? Would that be okay? I I don't think I could, I could do that. I've often thought it sounds cool. I mean, who wouldn't want to just stay home and like take the kids to fun activity? But it's kind of a natural law. It's not how it's supposed to be. Like if you go back to Genesis and look at roles of men and women as defined in Adam and Eve, uh, you know, the, the father is supposed to be the leader, the provider. Yeah, leader and provider especially. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it's definitely a very good formula to, to have that type of marriage. And um, I will say for myself, I, I had a career. I, I, had a, I was a teacher and I also have my, a master's in education. 
Um, and it was never a question for me of what motherhood would look like. I wanted to be with my children um, all the time. I, I didn't want someone else raising my kids. And more importantly than that, I thought about when I was a teacher, I, I was a, an excellent teacher because that's what I wanted to be. Um, but I also wanted to be an excellent wife, an excellent mom. And I thought to myself, how can I do all three and be excellent mm. at all three? And I don't, for me personally, I, I couldn't. I could not be an excellent teacher, an excellent wife, and an excellent mom. So something had to give. And thankfully, um, my husband and I were in agreement that, you know, my career would give and I would work on being a mother and a wife and, and working towards being excellent in those two things. And of course that's hard because you don't, nobody really gives you the, the rule book. I, I'm thankful I had a mother who was an, a wonderful role model for that. So I would say dad has achieved excellence in all three areas, but maybe that's because, you know, the role of fatherhood looks different. It, it kind of, um, it doesn't require the being there all the time like a mom is for young children, for babies. Yeah. Like part of part of the role of father is providing. So yeah. those go together. There's yeah. some synergy there. Yeah, dad did a great job with you know, he's he's he was very helpful to me when the kids were babies and to the point where uh, his mother was was very judgmental about how much he helped me. Like he would help change diapers and she thought that was, he was above that. Um, and he, and that was one of the things I loved about him was that he didn't think he was above being a supportive husband to me. Like I wouldn't have been able to do it without his support. There needs to be a great father, you know, together. I want to go back into what you, uh, what you were talking about. Oh yeah, I I wanted I wanted to be there for my for for my kids basically, and that that's that, that's so that's so important because a lot of people like they'll say, oh yeah, I, I want to have kids or I want to be there for my kids, but then it's a situation where it's almost like them like like owning like a dog or something. Like I have no problem like pawning like or like have, taking Benny to like the 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 kennel or something and like have someone watch him or pay Jackie's friend a couple bucks to like watch him but like you can't do that with your kid like they're they're a human being like it's it's a different situation yeah. so like some people like say they want to have kids and then it's like okay well now now they're here you you need to sacrifice something so they can have a future and then it's like well, well don't look at me well, and I might have been a little bit too much of a control freak to um, allow somebody else to raise my kids, but no, I but think too, though, I didn't have, um, you know, relatives around to babysit. There, there, there wouldn't have been a whole lot of people I would trust to do things the way I wanted them done with my kids, um, other than maybe my own mother who wasn't, I didn't have that option because she passed away too young. Um, and then I think you know, a handful of relatives maybe, but to your point, yeah, why would I want to have children and then put them in a daycare for somebody else? Yeah. To instill or, their uh, values on. You either send them the, to preschool or, or you have someone babysit them. And I mean, yeah, I guess you have a little bit of authority and selection of that process. So you can find someone that aligns with your values, but most of the time you're just getting someone purely off of, off of convenience who could be teaching your kids things that you don't align with. And I, I think this might go into my next point that I've been thinking about. Um, I think when I turned 52, I saw my husband, you know, receive a pretty big accolade in his career. And I used to watch my husband go off to conferences and go off to work every day. And, and there were times that I, I did miss, you know, that intellectual stimulation from being in the work environment. And I did miss that getting the accolades that I used to get as a teacher. Cause when you're a mom 
no one, no one's saying, wow, you did a great job cleaning the toilet today, mom, you know, or wow, what a delicious dinner you made. So stay home moms have to have a lot of confidence and intrinsic desire. And when it all comes together, it came together for me at 52. When I saw my husband receive accolades for his career and I never really got an accolade for being a mom. I never got that like, you know, certificate on the wall. But what, what I did find out and what I did come to realize is that like the four human beings that were walking around this world were the, like that was a result of what my accomplishments and all my hard work, you know, went into. And um, there's no greater joy than that, than to see that your kids have really become like super duper human beings. And so um, that's, that's something that you guys, when you are talking about these sorts of things with your spouse, is you want your spouse to have that desire, that intrinsic desire to be a wonderful mom. Like that's, you know, people go to work and they want to be an excellent employee they want to be excellent at basketball, you know, they want to be excellent at painting or whatever. But how many people really say, I want to be an excellent parent? You know, it's yeah, not necessarily. It's not something that's, yeah, it's not something that's promoted in the the society currently. And I'm, I'm kind of upset that Andrew didn't make you a, like a world's greatest mom award at some point, <laughs> honestly. Right. But I don't need that because this this is my next point for mothers. Mothers don't do things for accolades. We oh, do yes. things because we know that what we're doing is is completely intrinsic. They're the unsung heroes of the world. I th- I think so, and I think that along the lines of you know mothers in their unsung hero ship or whatever <laughs> you want to call it is something that you guys have to know as bo- boys have to know women know it. We all know it with each other. Um, it's called mom guilt. No matter who you speak to, whose mom you speak to, you're going to find that that mother at some point in time has felt an incredible amount of guilt. And do you want to know why you guys have any guesses as to why? Uh, yeah, I can't think of why. Oh, I mean, you're, you're constantly picking and choosing between your, your, what's for the betterment of your own life and for the betterment of your, your children. So you can, I I can see there being a lot of doubts and second guessing your decisions because you're literally doing a balancing act between, yeah. Taking care of yourself and taking care of exactly. Very, very well said, Stephen. Yes, and and it brings me to my next point, which is, you know, um, stay-at-home moms feel guilt. Working moms feel guilt. Hmm. Any guesses as to why? So I guess the uh, maybe the stay-at-home mom feels guilt about not being able to provide as many material things because the family is producing less income and then maybe the working mother feels guilt about spending less time with the children. Yeah, that's a pretty good guess actually. And I don't really know exactly why I think that this, the moms that I knew who uh, went back to work, um, they felt guilt that um, it was just too hard to be home and it was easier to go to work. It was easier to hire a housekeeper. It was easier to go to a nine to five job and come home and have the baby all ready because the nanny or the daycare took care of that. And they felt, they felt guilt about that. These are, these are what some of my friends explained to me. They think their job was fulfilling. Well, they were teachers, you know, so it's a little bit different. I mean, I think it would be interesting for you boys to ask some of the females, you know, I don't know if you guys know any young women who are mothers at this point. Um, why a working mom feels guilt, but um, I do think it must have to do with, yeah, because society does, I, I mean, I think there's there's a lot of, um, there's there, there are a lot of people out there who uh, totally agree that being with your children is, is the best thing for them, spending 
spending time with them. The, not these, spending these, money these, on them. these are called normal people. <laughs> I don't know if it is the norm anymore though, but, but yes, it was, it would one time it was the norm. See, see, all right. What is, what is normal and societally acceptable or to, or at the current moment are two different things. True. So sure. yeah, I, I, I agree. It might not be the societal norm at this moment, but it is the it is the norm and the natural order. Was your mom home with you, Stephen? Yes. And how about Jackie's mom? Uh no, cause her mom and dad were uh split up and living in two different places so so that's hard the single i i have sympathy for the single mom you know who isn't able to be home with her children because you they probably would really love to be i have a lot of sympathy for that <clears throat> it's yeah it sounds incredibly difficult it's like working 80 hours a week or more for years on end i've always had a big heart for the, the single mom and i always have felt like if the government were to get involved in anything, I, I wish they would get involved with helping single moms be able to um, to have a, an, an income to be comfortable enough that they could be with their children still. You know, I would worry about that encouraging more divorce though. Like, you do? Yeah. I, would, yeah I, I, I think I think actually the welfare state has created more single mothers than we would even want to believe is true. It's true. Hmm, okay. Well, and I and I will say this: I do know that um, there are a lot of college scholarships and and um, decrease decreases and um, reduction in tuition and things like that. That it would be nice if dual, well, single income married couples could get, like, for example. My parents, we had nine children in our family. Yeah. My dad was a blue collar guy who worked for AT&T. And my mom was also a teacher who stayed home with us. And um, we didn't have any help at all. Like, I mean, we lived a very, very modest, is that the right word? Life. Yeah. Um, we all drove around in a suburban big, ugly, orange burnt suburban. And all of us had jobs in high school. And my brothers and I paid for our own college education. I, I don't regret that. I think that that's helped me become good with money management. And I, I d definitely advocate kids, even if your parents can't afford, I definitely advocate, you know, paying your own way for as much as you can. So I'm not trying to say that you know, if to go back in time, I wish we had gotten a lot more from the government. I, I'm not saying that at all, but I'm just saying that I do think if there's young couples out there now who want to be able to stay home, one of them, the mother, I do feel like the government should be a little bit more willing to give out some type of financial assistance or loans. I, I don't know, maybe they do. I think I think I think this is contingent on them ending things like no fault divorce. Yeah, true. Um, but yeah, it is a lot harder today for a single income family to raise a very large family. It's still possible, but it's a lot harder, and it's also just not encouraged by the culture anymore. But we do see very pro-family policies in places like Poland and Hungary, where there's you know giving loans, big loans to with low interest rates to families with like four or more children or they're not charging them any income tax and they're giving them big tax credits. I think that's really good. We, we like policies that would encourage big families. Are you guys seeing girls in your age group that want to have large families? Yeah, I don't know if it's just because I'm in kind of a, a bubble of like Christian conservative type people. Even if they're not explicitly into politics, they just have the values. But all the young women I know want to have big families, even if they came from small families themselves. So it seems like there was like a, a gap where maybe our grandparents had big families and then most people my age came from small families. 
but then they yeah. want two, two, two parents, two kids, like the, the standard suburban American household. Yeah, but then a lot of those kids who came from the two or three kid family really now want to have really big families. So it's really interesting. That is interesting, and I wonder why. I, I mean, it's, I, it's almost to give your give your kids something that that you never had. I mean, that that's a lot of things with people. It's like, all right, the the I guess the deficiencies in your life, you want to be able to provide a little more of that for your child. I think that's a very natural thing. Like mm-hmm. I've I've went through you you go through some sort of uh, pain or or trauma as as a child you or you don't want your child to also go down that that same route yes yeah, so you you rarely hear a, a only child say that they only want to have one child because mm-hmm. they thought it was so boring yeah, yeah. Lon- lonely yeah all, all of those things well and in, and in education we always say you very rarely learn from non-examples but there's a very good example of of somebody who doesn't want to do what they grew up doing. You yeah. know, I, I would say Andrew, and it sounds like you too, Stephen. how many siblings do you have? Just one, just my brother. Okay, well, there you go. That's interesting. You want a large family, you had just one brother. Did yeah, you say you had four to six kids? Or- yeah. Okay. Andrew said four I said, I, I said Jackie wants four, I said 10, so we'll probably <laughs> meet in the middle. So, okay, why? I just reject the the notion that having more more mouths to feed is is a bad thing. I mean, my my grandpa, my my dad's one of nine kids uh, as well. He's the oldest of of nine and my my grandpa fed all of them off of off of one income and my my grandma loved uh being around the being around the kids and I, I just, so, I mean, you're saying that it's possible, which is good. Cause that's, yeah. you're saying what the culture doesn't really want people to believe, but, but why do you want so many kids? I would rather raise more kids than have less kids and let other people <laughs> who don't have as good of uh, maybe a value system that we do as people who we believe that we're good people. And as Christian conservative people, we want to reproduce and spread our seed and therefore spreading our seed of influence throughout the, uh, throughout the world country and throughout the world. So really you just, you just want to influence America. Kind of, kind of the opposite so, of the, all the yeah. illegal aliens coming in. You, he wants yes. to combat illegal immigration. I, I, I want to, we, we want to create a hierarchy that is natural and good and spread our spread the kingdom of God and spread uh, what we believe is good and true throughout the, the country. So if I have six, seven, eight kids and they all disperse throughout the country and then they have like six or seven kids themselves, well then after two generations, there's 42 people like me and Jackie out in the world. Just think about that, Andrew. Think about how epic that is. Yeah, very cool. That would be great. And it, when you're talking, it made me think about how the saying when I was one and nine, that would often come up. There were there were always a couple of questions that came up. One was, are you Catholic or Mormon? Yeah. <laughs> and the other question was, did your dad, do you guys live on a farm? And the reason that people used to ask that is because back in the, I guess, agrarian days, uh, all people, regardless of their religion, had large families so that the kids could help oh, tend yeah. the farm. Free labor. Free labor. And so a lot of people would look at a large family and say, oh, I guess that's why you're, you're having all these kids. Very few people would, would admit to what you just said, which I think is... Um, which is very true, actually. It's probably why my mom wanted nine children. I, I'm pretty sure. So, yeah, you you call it an admission, but I just think that's an inherent truth that most people won't talk about. It's like, oh, you know, I've always just wanted to have a big family. It's always it's always a little bit of a of a of a 
cliche, but you you could just come out and say, yes, I yes, I want to have heirs and I want more people like me out in the world as opposed to people like them. But a lot of people just won't say that. Well, some people really do just think it'll be fun and Oh, it, it'll be it'll be fun. Yeah. We'll get like we'll get like an old like stagecoach and like you know, like poor all the kids. It's like Yeah. Well I, yeah. I mean I don't I don't know that I know many people who think having a lot of children would be f- just fun in the stagecoach, but um, I, I don't know. I, is it? Do you think it's a trend in Hollywood right now to have larger families at all? Like, th- didn't doesn't Angelina Jolie and Brad have like twenty kids? I don't know. There's um, there are I do see on like Instagram and stuff. There's some really big families that have big following. So maybe there is a reaction to all the small families of the eighties and nineties and two thousands. And now people think it's trendy again. Yeah. I would say, I would say, yeah, I, I would say what we were talking about earlier, that's kind of a natural reaction to people having smaller families. Like me and my brother only have e- each other. And I don't necessarily want that for my kids. I mean, my dad's one of nine kids and they're all, uh, wildly successful, so I think I think it's I think it's possible to have a large family, and uh, yeah, I, again this uh, this adage of oh well, there's too many too many mouths to feed, or like it's too hard. Yeah, un- unfortunately, our systems as they are now, like the government has made it increasingly hard for people to have more and more children and survive off of a off of a single income, but it's it's doable it's if you can believe it like you can achieve it i know that sounds like cliche but like yeah get get a plot of land (laughs) Uh, yeah um, yeah i have two points that you know you always spark something and i I try not to forget what i'm gonna say um you said your dad um but my mother who was one of two she that's why she wanted nine children I mean, she's a devout Catholic too, but she wanted nine children because she was, she was lonely with this one brother. She wanted a, she never wanted to be lonely. So, um, she died never lonely. But the, the second point is that, um, uh, as far as my brothers and I, you know, back then, okay, yes, college was more affordable, but I can, I paid for my university 100% myself, um, through working, you know, during college and, and going to school. Now, granted, I was a teacher. I wasn't a doctor. But, college um, tuition. Oh, just, just, uh, just, uh, and I, had loans. I know the cost of college tuition is, is the inflation of that is horrible. Yeah. It's four um, times the rate of inflation. Like that's unbelievable. But, my, but I do think, and not to say that, you know, not, I don't think what I wanted to say is I don't think I came out a worse person because I came out of school with loans to pay off or that I worked during school. I just think if anything, handing your children things on a silver platter without making them work for things is way more dangerous than telling them you're going to go to college. And you know what, you might have to work hard to get scholarships. You may have to work hard to during school. Um, you may have some debt when you come out. I, I personally do not think that's a horrible thing that that might be a one of nine kind of mentality. I don't know if your dad has that same mentality or not, but that's definitely my mentality based on what I saw my brothers and I do. Say, say that one more time, just so I'm, I'm fully grasping it. Well, just, I don't think it's a horrible thing that I, my brothers and I had to take out student loans, get scholarships, work super, super hard to get ourselves through school. Um, I wouldn't want to hand things on a silver platter to my children, even though, I can. I don't want to. I don't think that's good for kids. I don't think that them being handed things without working hard is good for them. And and that might lend itself more to the larger families, too, where, you know, you do learn how to um, share more. You do learn to be less entitled. You know, you just you have to be a giver in a large family. 100 percent agree. Yes, yeah. so, I, I see where you're going with that. I have a slightly, I guess, different different take on that. Yeah, my my dad and 
all of his brothers and sisters, except one, all went to uh, Pitt, and one of them went to Temple. And yeah, they they worked off, they worked jobs during school and everything like that. My counter argument to that would be what we just talked about is that the tuitions went up four times what inflation is during that time. So to, yeah. I mean, to put that 4X amount like over over a kid's head, like if, if college is costing like $80,000 now to get someone through four years of, of undergrad, I mean, that's just not Mm-hmm. realistic yeah. for putting for putting x number of i i would rather do a situation as where i i set up a uh i guess uh custodial ira for my kids and i put a little bit of money in each of that the max contribution you can do that each year is six thousand dollars the compounding of that by the time that kid's 20 years old before compounding you do six thousand a year times 20 years, that's $120,000 you save for uh, your child. I'd rather gift them that money when they're like 18 or 20 years old and say, all right, you can go to school if you want, or you can start a business and, and I'll mentor you where you can take over like the family, like farm or inheritance or, you know, give them some options. Don't just be like, oh yeah, I put this money in a 529 plan and now you have to go to a uh, college because it's set up by the college system. Like we have to think outside of the scope of the system because the system has been designed to destroy us at this current point in time. I love that. I totally love that. And I was going to ask Andrew, you know, as, as one of four from a family that, you know, could have probably given you more, but we didn't give you everything you wanted. We gave you some of what you wanted and everything you need. You know, it's it's hard to put that type of perspective on you because you can't possibly understand that. But we did try our hardest to make you have work for what you have, right? Like, mm-hmm. how do you feel about that? Like, is has that is that a bad formula? Because that type of formula could be used in any size family, really. <clears throat> no, I think that's def- that was the way to go for sure. I am. I had plenty, I had everything I needed and a ton of what I wanted to, but I also learned the value of hard work and that not everything comes easy while nothing worth doing comes easy. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and Stephen, the money that you're talking about putting aside, I think, I think that's wonderful to be able to hand your children that type of, you know, financial package and say, okay, go ahead and, and grow this money into something whatever it may be. I, I don't think that's a wrong answer either. I think the only point I wanted to make is that I don't think that people should not have children because they're worried that they won't be able to put them through college. I don't think hundred percent agree with that. Yeah. That, that's a, uh, that's an argument that people put up when, when they're unsure if they want to have children and it's kind of just a, a wall or a roadblock they put up. Oh, well, we can't, we can't afford to have kids. It's like, ah, really? I mean, Andrew just had a talk with me the other day about, about budgeting. And when you really like put your grind to it, like you can take some things out that you can, you can, you can figure it out. So I I think be uh, giving up having more kids because you wouldn't be able to take as many vacations or have as nice a car. Yeah. I mean, vacations are nice. And I will say that my mom and dad did put vacations as a high priority, but we didn't do expensive, fancy vacations. And that was okay. You know, you, you find a way to work within the means you have. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the most important thing. You don't want to be living outside of your means and going into debt, but you can find, you know, campgrounds. You 100%. Know, you could go buy an RV and, and a used one and you can refinish it yourself and that's my goal. So you utilize the beautiful state parks in your area. You know, there's so many wonderful things you can do with children that don't cost a lot of money. Um, so I do not believe that you have to be super wealthy to have um, a big family. It's true. <clears throat> when, when, I- when the uh, when the podcast makes it, that's my goal is to have an RV and uh, drive the kids around the country and teach them American history and, you know, just uh, phone in Andrew and uh, – record an episode and that'd be cool just i look forward to to knowing you then live from the grand canyon <laughs> yeah it's a really uh, cool trend uh, right now in america 
Oh, so have you have you guys ever heard of a uh, Easter sunrise mass? I have not. I have. So our our church uh, down here is doing a mass at six thirty a.m. on Easter Sunday. On this, they they this guy gives him his farm every year on like two acres of land, and like the priest like has the altar facing the people, and the sun is like rising like behind them. It's so cool. Nice. Oh, I love so that. So cool. I I, I that is really I'm, neat. So I'm excited to come home, but I'm kind of bummed out that I'm going to be missing that. But at some point when yeah. I'm down here, I'm going to have to make sure I make it to that because that sounds just awesome. Oh, it really <laughs> does. I love that. Yeah. Um, so I think we were going to maybe circle back to um, one of the points I had wanted to talk to you guys about when it comes to, you know, mothers. And um, I think that, let's see, I wanted to... Andrew said I already touched on mom guilt. Um, So I don't think I need to go back there. But I think another thing is most moms are givers. They're just, they are. They just, there's no way you can be a mom and not be a giver. And I think if if you're looking for the perfect future mother for your children, make sure she's a giver. Well, even more importantly, make sure you're a giver too, because you both have to be givers. If you have two givers, it's a wonderful formula. If you have a giver and a taker, the giver is fine for a while, but what do you think happens after a while when one person is giving, 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 and the other person is taking, taking, taking? What what can happen, you think, long-term with that? especially in a, not only in a marriage, well, first and foremost in a marriage, but then with children. There's so, a lot of resentment brewing there. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. But so that's to what a extent huge... can people change, you know, maybe someone becomes much more of a giver once they, yeah. I guess everyone probably yeah. becomes a giver more so when they have a family. Well, motherhood will definitely make you more of a giver. It will. So, so how, like maybe someone is kind of a giver, but not really, you know, how much can you factor in? someone's ability to change. I mean, there's some huge warning signs. I think when you're dating somebody that you can see, I think, and a lot of people ignore, I mean, Sophie and I are watching this show right now. It's about, it's called the ultimatum. It's, it's not a very a- appropriate show. Cause I, I don't like some of the, you could tell it's not Christian based, but it has some very good. Um, it just has some good ideas in there of how couples, like so many couples end up staying together because they, the girl wants the ring, she wants the wedding dress, she wants the beautiful wedding, she wants and wants and wants, and the boy wants to give that to her, but they're ignoring all the very, very important signs of what's after the wedding day. And they just think, oh, well, just get divorced, you know? And so I, I do think the answer to answer your question, there definitely are warning signs when you're dating somebody, um, if they're too much of a giver. I mean, on daddy's in my first date, I, I I offered to pay for my own way. I offered, I mean, I was, he made a lot more money than I did. And from this day forward, we're both very giving of things and we don't tit for tat, you know? So it's, it's very important to, I'm obviously you're a giver, Steven, right? And so is Jackie. So. Oh, she's best, best giver that, I know. And Andrew can attest to Andrew yeah. can attest to this. And make sure you are too, you know, because if, if she's with a, a taker, it's gonna wear out on her, you know. So she made an Easter basket for the girl uh that lives in the apartment complex across the way from us and like she maybe talks to her like one time a week. That's sweet. That's yeah. a good girl. Yeah. It's hard to find girls like that who are, well, boys too. I mean, I don't want to make this just about the girls have to be, because like I said, it has to be two givers. Uh, or, you know, I mean, we know people, they're both takers. I mean, I guess if you have two takers together, two selfish people together, I guess somehow that works because they just take care of themselves each. Ooh, and know. then, you know, I don't know. We know people like that. I don't, I don't know if they end up divorced or not, but. Um, Doesn't sound good. You know, I know several people who, who they're both selfish and we're like, how do they do that? How does that work? But somehow it, I guess it works. I, I prefer not to be like that. I think Stephen, if you were to talk about your toolbox at every, you know, every time you have a podcast, you bring up your toolbox. Do you guys have any ideas of what you'd want in your toolbox for your mom, the mom, the, the wife, the child, the mother of your children? Hmm. I, I need a second to think about this one. 
I really, I thought you would jump all over that. I thought you'd have a bunch. Of I ideas. have a couple in mind. I didn't know if you wanted me to just say what I had in mind. Yeah, go go ahead and go okay. ahead with that, and then if I something sparks my mind, I'll uh, okay. I'll, co- I'll come back. Okay, I think a, a, a mother's toolbox should be full of faith and works, a support system, a helpful and present husband, and most importantly, good self worth. You guys want to add to that? They want to go pretty, over again. Yeah, I need. I, I want to hear them one more time. Okay, faith and works. Faith and works. Okay. Support system. Let's explain each one a little bit. So faith and works. What, okay. What, uh, okay. Well, you know, a lot of uh, faith and works is sort of your foundation. You know, you have a, you have a foundation of, of a faithful upbringing and with a God-centered life. And through that God-centered life, you become a volunteer. You become a doer. You become a giver. It's, it's a good it's a good combination of things. Our, our mm-hmm. faith is completely interlaced with faith and works um, and how we apply that in our lives. And then um, the support system, I bring that up because I was, I did not have a support system. We, we were military and we moved down to San Antonio. We moved all over the place and I had four little children with nobody to help me. Um, in fact, Samuel said his, his girlfriend, Caitlin, says she would never be able to do what I did. And I don't recommend it. I do not recommend having children without a support system. I'm not saying that, you know, the support system should be um, taking care of your children. So you should go to work. I don't mean it in that way. I mean, a support system that when your wife or you are having problems, there's, or not problems, but support with the children, someone to take the kids out for ice cream, someone to, watch the children on a Saturday night so you guys can go out on a date. Um, somebody who can come over and, and cook dinner with you, you know, that type of thing. Um, I do. I definitely think that that's very necessary. Um, number three, a helpful and present husband. Um, I think if, if you're married to somebody who's so concerned about only making money, the you know, we all know about the workaholic dads of the past um, came home from work turned on the television, went into their dens, were never really present. That's, that's not good either for the mother and, and wife. That's, that's a lonely world for her. Um, and then this one I feel is, is so incredibly important that your girl has good self-worth. Um, she's, she's confident. She knows who she wants to be, what she wants to do in her life. She's got, um, you know, hobbies, she's got education. It doesn't have to be a college education. It could be, you know, she wants to become a pastry chef or she wants to cut someone's hair. That's fine. But she should have something to do that helps keep her brain stimulated and helps provide herself good worth. Um, you don't want her to be too vain. That's not good either. But just, just somebody who feels good about herself. Hmm. You would call those the four pillars of motherhood? I would, I, I, pillars, maybe. Yeah. Um, I think so. Yeah. I think so. I, I do. I Steven's, can't think of anything else. Steven's decided to take them out of the pool toolbox and make them pillars instead. I mean, they're pillars. Yeah. You're talking. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. They would fit in your toolbox if they're pillars, but could we call <laughs> them? <laughs> what do you think, Steven? I don't, I don't know. Is it too much to expect or? No, I'm, 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 I'm. Jackie just says the toolbox is it's my toolbox. It's not her toolbox. <laughs> I, I don't I don't I I think I definitely like the pillars of, of motherhood because you know that you got the, the the roof over the head, but like the pillars of motherhood like keep the family strong. I definitely I like that. I, 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 I definitely it. see it like that. Okay, it doesn't have to be the toolbox. You're right, that that may be used for maybe that's the wrong context for these. <laughs> But those, I think those are good points. Those are fantastic, yeah. I don't think I would have thought of um, the last one, but after hearing you explain it, it's it's necessary in my mind. And you could talk to I don't I know you both have a lot of female friends. You can talk to any one of those girls, and they're all going to say that they feel one of the most important things before they get a boyfriend is to have a happiness with themselves, and that they're not looking for that in another person. Because that's a lot of responsibility on a guy to 
have to like provide happiness for the female in his life. Yeah, that, that's a lot. That leads. To oh. <laughs> so, so I've I have a question for you. What was the most rewarding thing uh, about being a mother? I don't know if we touched on this in the first part. Oh, oh golly, oh, that's a great question. Um, just having this little person who is who you just like you can't imagine. Oh, I love that. I love this question. You can't imagine that you could love something that much more than like anything, anything else in the entire world. And then you have another little child and you're like, there's no way we're going to love this child as much as we love the first one. There's just no way you just can't do it. And then you do. And then you get a third one and you're like, there's no way we're going to love this third child as much as we love these first two. It's impossible. You know, so that like, would turn out to be true. I would. <laughs> no, you just, you're full of so much love for these little people that come into your world. They're sweet, little, innocent, amazing little children who, who grew up to be just, that's like the most amazing thing about motherhood. And that you have to put yourself last for that not in a like bad way i don't mean putting yourself like you shouldn't go around becoming like a slob who doesn't yeah. you know the sacrificial lady who's you know so you know you have to do something for yourself too though you yeah that's a good to, caveat because you know, i hear a lot of um parenting people experts say that yeah you actually do need to put yourself first then your spouse then the kids because if you don't put those things for, first, then you're not going to be able to take care of the kids. Yeah, and and that is very that is a, a big argument for a lot of working moms. They they don't feel like they can get um, intellectual stimulation from being home with their children, and they want they want to still you know appear or be feel interesting to the person who comes home at night to them. And um, I went through that. I I definitely felt. Um, a lack of intellectual stimulation from being home, but it's so worth it though. It is so worth it. it really well, how did is. you get that intellectual stimulation? Cause you're still a big question yeah. asker and a big reader and always have, uh, well, that's what you do. I would, I think my art, my intellectual stimulation came from, and I was just talking about this last night with my friend who's an engineer. She's a female engineer and the other one's a professor. And we were talking about our children and how, you guys have all become so much smarter than us now. Like we're, we've become these stupid people that our <laughs> advice doesn't matter at all. And so we were joking about it. And I said, you know, it's our own fault. I said, I can remember, you know, I was into the red, black and white for my children because when they were infants, they couldn't see any other colors but those. And so I was into like getting them the right colors, So their brain would start getting stimulated right away. And they were listening to baby Einstein and, we were reading to them and we were doing all these things. I was teaching them how to read before they were going into kindergarten. And you get, you know, you do all these things to make sure they're the smartest kids on earth. And guess what? They've become the smartest people on earth and they're smarter than us now. So that is where the mother, the intellectual stimulation does begin as a mother. You're doing everything you can. You're taking your children to music classes so they can, um, play a tambourine and sing songs. You're going into play groups with other mothers who are, um, providing, I had some amazing other mothers in playgroups with me. I had um, women who used to be nurses, one who used to be a pediatrician, other teachers. Um, I was, I had just an, an amazing group of friends when the kids were babies that we all went to each other's houses and had playgroups. That's when I became Martha Stewart because we all had these like cool little cookbooks that we made of our recipes and. Um, so that is where it begins. But you have to kind of work like that's a lot of work and you have to keep up with that. You have to keep up with that. Hmm. So um, you don't want to isolate yourself. You don't want a girl who's going to isolate herself. So. Um, and then uh, intellectual stimulation later on in life is maybe, you know, I mean, I went through a phase where I was missing maybe teaching and I wanted to go back and get my Ph.D. at some point, And I started thinking, you know. Uh, I've got this husband who's a doctor and he's so interesting and I'm just his mother, you know, so you definitely um, go through that as women where you just don't want to feel like you're um, this, this person who's sitting on the couch eating bonbons, you know, so um, that, but that all plays into the self-worth of, of her. She has to have self-worth, but you know, you don't want her to feel like she's 
you know, so important that she's she's got to leave the kids behind so she can go get her Ph.D. and and go off to, you know, all these trips so that yeah. she can like, you know, that's that's a little bit too much ego, in my opinion. I so, guess there's a fine line. But, yeah, we, mm-hmm. we definitely don't want um, wives who are just going to be sitting on the couch watching reality TV all day. You definitely want someone who right. has a thirst for, for knowledge and for learning. And, is, and will she and will she watch reality TV during a day when you guys are napping? Maybe she might. It doesn't <laughs> mean she's going to be stupid, but you know, it's all about balance, yeah. you know, balance is key. so just trying to paint a realistic picture for you guys. Cause I, you know, there's no perfect person out there anywhere. Um, I, right. Andrew could probably tell you a hundred different times where he thought, you know, maybe his mom's got a little crazy or <laughs> maybe she's got depression. Who knows? Like, yeah, you're going to go through all that stuff. And that's where the support system comes into play. Do you have Actually, a good support system? I have a theory that all moms who have sons become crazy. Sons just make moms go crazy. <laughs> it's true. I, I mean, define crazy, but <clears throat> I don't know. Well, and then again, back to faith and works. You know, one of the biggest things was getting involved at the church. We, as soon as we moved, I joined the church with the kids. I volunteered at Vacation Bible School. Um, I get, I got to meet other Christian mothers that way who had wonderful children who my kids connected with. You know, I really believe the church is a wonderful, wonderful um, beginning to one of the pillars of motherhood. So, you know, it doesn't just start with, you know, these people go to baptism. They put their kids they put their kids in the CCD and they go get margaritas while their kids are CCD. No, that's not, I know people like that. No, that's not what it is. You, you, you ingrain yourself into it, you know? Yeah. So it is a tall, it is a tall, um, order for women, but I think that it's worth it. If you, if you make a smart choice. All right. This it's is probably- worth it. Motherhood is worth it. America is worth it. You heard it here. Well, look That's- at the two of you, how well you turned out. You know, Stephen, yeah. I'd love to meet your mom one day. She's probably amazing. I mean, look she's, at you. You're a great guy. She's a wonderful woman. So, but um, do you guys think that stay-at-home moms are, are judged um, by society in a bad way? Yeah, a little bit. There's some stigma. I'd say there's some stigma around it. But it's, yeah, it seems like it's become the minority. So whenever I do hear that someone's a stay-at-home mother or even that they're like someone at work's spouse works part-time instead of full-time, I'm like, oh, nice. That's awesome. So some people see it in a much more positive light. Well, and it is more popular now to have um, the guy and the mom. They both have part-time jobs. I mean, there there is something to be said for that, that you could balance it. I'm sure there's some really cool, I you know, other family models out there like that. I'd be car- curious to hear about. So, but these are all the things that you want to make sure you talk about with your future wife. That's one of the things that the Catholic Church does a really good job with. They do the pre-marriage discussion groups, the pre-cana. Uh, Andrew's poor dad was put through the ringer by me <laughs> because of that. So, ask the tough questions get the tough questions out of the way and don't be afraid to ask them. If you don't like the answer, then that's okay. At least it's better to know it than to walk away clueless. So. Yeah. Well said. This was a good, wholesome episode. I think um, our female, our, our few female listeners, especially. Are 20%, 20%, 20% representing. are going to get a lot out of this, especially, but everyone has a lot to take away from this. I think uh, we it might would be actually cool. get above twenty percent on this one. Well, I think we need Stephen to say maybe one more controversial thing because <laughs> I do think that controversial topics do do grab people. Next if time we got to put, yeah, we need to start the episode with Stephen just saying something controversial. No my. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the preaching to the choir stuff is interesting, but sometimes you know, some kind of little spark out there. You know, yeah. put that out there in a debate type of forum. I, I'm sure the two of you will have the girls punching your arms every once in a while, right? When you're together. Have either of you been called male chauvinist at all? Um, probably, yeah. <laughs> Stephen did the 
Uh, so so, <laughs> maybe. Uh, maybe Jackie Probably keeps you in line, Steven. Say that again. Does Jackie keep you in line, or how did you become a like quasi male chauvinist? <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, just the last uh, couple years and the the seeing of our uh, cultural decay and the correlations that come along with it. Like, I don't know the uh, the like male testosterone like ec- epidemic and the fact that like everyone works like a white collar job now, and the fact that like we had all like the lockdowns and like no one really, no one really stood up and no one was willing to say like objective truths about objective things or people can't even acknowledge what a woman is. So that kind of radicalized mm-hmm. me a little bit. I'm just going to be honest with you. Why does it have to be radical? Right. Right. It's like not it's really normal. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's You've the, just been made to uh, feel that way, unfortunately. Yeah. So my beliefs really have, have only have only become, yeah, I, I guess, I, yeah, I guess I, yeah, I don't want to say radicalized. I I woke up from the uh, the matrix that everything is fine. This is not how a normal society should function, and yeah, you know, we're, we're gonna we're gonna need we're gonna need again, Andrew. What do, what do we go back to? What do we go back to? We talk about it. We talk about strong men. Mm-hmm. Find it. Find which is what we're trying to pitch to our demographic: eighteen to twenty four year old guys. Strong man listens to mom's advice and finds a strong woman, a strong man and a strong woman create a strong family. A strong family creates a strong church and a strong community. And then a strong church and a strong community create a strong nation. Andrew, that's exactly that. That is the natural order. It works. That's how it works. That's a very good summary of everything. Well, well I I, I said that in one of the other episodes, so it's become one of my, Mm -hmm. uh, it's mm-hmm. a, it's one of my cliches at this point, but it uh yeah. it, it rings true when we're talking about one of these uh, uh it's topics. the secret formula. It's it is the secret formula. Yeah. I should put that on a shirt too. It needs to be like a little like almost like a little like diagram, like you know, like wheeling around and then it's like, oh, America's great again and it's just like down here, but it starts with you. It's just you up in this little corner, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that. That would you probably would make a. I would buy that shirt. We're gonna start that making shirts cool. soon. We have oh, a lot of you know so what? Sam, Samuel's girlfriend has a a cool little. Um, yeah, she's. I'm gonna. Him? I was gonna um, get some designs sent to. Does her. she listen to the podcast? Is she a twenty percenter? I don't. Know I don't know. Listens. We'll have to ask her when. She, I will tell you this though: there are some people that are in line ahead of you, Andrew, for t-shirts by her, Ooh. and it's called. We're they're called the fun people club Uh um and i can't remember if that's the name i gave our club or not i'm always changing the name but we're ahead of you guys we're gonna get caitlin to make us t-shirts for the boring middle Asia adults club (laughs) the fun you know what my friend was taking pictures of us playing dominoes last night and sending them to her college-age daughters (laughs) because she wants she wants her daughters to see that people our age have fun after (laughs) after you raise your children there's there's a lot sometimes i think i think adults have more like Middle-aged adults have more fun than like our age group, the like Gen Z millennial types, because everyone's like, "Oh, what, what what did you go do? Oh yeah, I I went and listened to some music at a bar, and you know, held a beer like really close to my chest, and had like thirty-five people around me who I I don't know, but then." You see all these middle-aged people like have they have they have nicer homes because they've saved up more money, and you know they have like a little like wine night or something. They're playing like. Uh, yeah, dominoes or something like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I I can see it. That's what you're working towards, but I do think that Andrew. Yes, I'm, I'm working towards playing dominoes. Yes. Huh. Yeah. What you say, Mom? I think Andrew has a pretty good social life right now, and I will say that is another one of the things that makes a mother happy is when her kids have a fun support group and and good things going on in their lives. So yeah, he does good stuff. I live vicariously through him lately. Well, let's wrap it up. Um, thanks, Mom, for coming on. It's fun. It's fun. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Go ahead and uh, uh, subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. But I know most of our ardent listeners have already. Give us a five-star review. We are on all podcast platforms at this time. And, yeah, show some love for uh, Andrew's mom, our 
resident mom of the uh, the podcast. Yeah. Round of applause. <laughs> send this I'm, I'm to your. On, I'm working on getting other moms on board. Nice. So yeah, send this to all your friends with baby fever. Exactly. Pil- pillows of. Uh, no, Stephen and I and other the twenty percenters, the twenty percenters. Oh, they okay. need, they, they, okay. you, you need to find a woman and send them this podcast and explain the value of motherhood, because strong mothers are inevitable when we retake the country. It's it's mm-hmm. it's just the natural order. Yeah. Yeah. Strong mothers will be attracted to to boys like you guys for sure. And, and all the boys who listen to you. That's a guarantee. All right. Thanks, everyone. See you next time.